This is a MacKillop Farm Management Group podcast. We acknowledge and respect the traditional owners of the ancestral lands, Potawich to the north, Jawajali to the east, Bowendik to the south and Mitung to the west of the Limestone Coast region. We acknowledge Elders past and present and we respect the deep feelings of attachment and relationship of Aboriginal peoples to country. Welcome to The Prosperous Farmer, a podcast telling the stories of farmers in the Limestone Coast of Western Victoria. I'm your host Meg Bell and joining us today is Deb Scammell, a livestock consultant at Talking Livestock. Welcome Deb and thanks so much for joining us here on location in Lucendale. So today we're discussing setting your stock strategies for summer. Deb, before we get into that, tell us a bit about how you became a livestock consultant and a bit about your work at Talking Livestock. It was a bit of an interesting journey, sort of came out of an ag science degree and did lots of different things really, some EID um, into genetics, but then ended up working in a commercial nutrition company in South Australia. And I really started down the sales path, but I feel that over the 10 years with them, I sort of started to work more as a bit of a consultancy model, started doing a lot of rations for people. And through the sort of 1920 drought, ended up doing a lot of containment feeding and helping people with sort of feeding strategies See, I guess it was probably after about the 10th client asked me why I wasn't just a consultant. I sort of started to think that maybe there was a career that could emerge within sort of my own business, which is where it all started. Very good. So when did you start talking livestock? Yeah, so it was just over four years ago now. So time flies, really. I can't actually even believe it's that long. A lot of the clients, I sort of flowed into my own business. And yeah, it did probably feel like a bit of a continuity of some of the work I was already doing, really. And so what are the things you like doing? I do a lot of variety within this business, which is a brilliant part. Like I feel like no two days are the same. So within Talking Livestock, I do a lot of one-on-one consulting and it's with often the same clients. I've got a lot of clients I see over a year look dealing with the different issues as they sort of come up but also run sort of industry courses like Lifetime U, some pasture courses, run plenty of workshops. I've done quite a lot in the containment feeding space. So yeah, just working constantly with different groups of people, being challenged by their issues on farm is really rewarding for me. And then also just end up doing a lot of speaking things. So yeah, over the last four years, I've kind of done quite a lot of tours around South Australia I've just finished a rangelands project with MLA, which was really interesting, just doing 11 workshops across the rangelands. So, yeah, I feel like there's not a lot of time to get bored, really. Mm. Are you ever home? Yeah, I am occasionally. (laughs) A lot of my work actually is within a close region, within Seven Hill, where I'm based. Probably more the projects or the speaking tours, you actually do end up away for quite a while and then end up back home seeing local people again. Very good. So tell us a bit about the current season and feed quality and you know maybe that's around Seven Hill but you also say right across the state don't you? Yeah. So what's happening in in relation to current season and feed quality and how's that going to relate to our stock over summer? I think I can talk fairly generically across South Australia this season and especially off the bumper spring we'd sort of had the year before the spring really has been disappointing in most areas I've seen this year so I think we're just struggling with that bulk of feed that we usually have coming into this time of year you know in most regions it really feels like we're probably eight to ten weeks ahead of where we should be as far as summer grazing and then on the stubble side so yeah anywhere you know yields have probably been better than we expect but when we look at stubble quality you know I haven't seen a lot of grain on the ground we're looking at a fairly short grazing period for most stubble so 
I think realistically we're looking at, you know, towards the end of January, a lot of people are going to start running out of either dry pastures or stubble feed really in the paddocks. What does that then mean for summer and supplementary feeding? When I'm doing feed budgets at the moment, we're starting a, a whole lot earlier. As I said, I've got clients that religiously containment feed, but you know, often through from March, for example, mm. where this year we're going to look at locking stock up probably in January. Mm. I think just the sheer time of feeding is going to be considerable amount of time. And then when we look at ground cover, it's good to have those ground cover targets. I think, you know, we're going to see it deteriorating quite quickly early in the new year. Mm. So people that haven't containment fed or got stock off paddocks before, I think it's going to be important to have those targets in mind and come up with a bit of a strategy of either destocking or moving stock if you're starting to deteriorate ground cover. So what sort of steps should people be following when, when they're developing a supplementary feeding strategy and what kind of things should, should they be measuring? So the critical parts really is really just looking at your requirements of your stocks. You know, we see very different things in different regions as far as I've got people that all feed right through to nearly lambing. And then we've got others that are going to lock stock up sort of early in the gestational period. So... I think looking at the requirements of the stock and then the next critical thing is really just to feed test and determine what feed resources you've got available but also at what cost. So my first step is probably to quantify what's available in the feed that you can purchase but then also compare them so you're working out the most beneficial feed cost-wise to feed. Unfortunately fodder prices are all looking very high but you know there are products you can use that are going to save you a bit of cash when you look at the numbers of mouths you're going to be feeding for a long period of time. So tell us a bit about for people that might have stubbles how can those stubbles be included in a feeding strategy and, and what should people be considering if they're using that as a supplementary feed? With a stubble I sort of do go through a bit of a quantification of the feed value in those as well and you can sort of work it back to grazing day so my first thing is to throw your 0.1 of a square metre quadrant out in the paddock which I feel like a lot of people don't do when I'm not out on farm <laughs> with them but I'll literally count grains and work out what tonnage of grain is available in the paddock and as I said in most areas I've looked at this year it's been quite low so you know I've only been working on a week or two of grain value in a lot of these paddocks once they've consumed the grain, you've still got valuable things like flag leaf, some of your weeds and reshot sort of green, but often these aren't going to last a long period of time in what I've quantified so far this year as well. Once you're back to just your stalk, you end up down to sort of four to five megajoules of energy mm. per kilo in that feed. So at that point, I'd find your ground cover's probably down to 50%. Stock are going to be seriously losing condition. So that's the point they need to be either moved on or supplementary fed. Mm. And so how does that differ then from a, a dry pasture? What sort of feeding strategy should we be thinking about when we've, we're thinking dry pastures and feeding stock dry pastures? Yeah, so when you're on dry pastures, you know, often the quality might be slightly higher. So you might be getting your six to seven megajoules of energy in some of the dry feed I've seen around this region. So you can actually just do a supplementing strategy along with the pasture. So, you know, you might only need 300 grams of barley or a full feed pellet to sort of top up maintenance energy requirement of a ewe on that feed. Mm. 
but it's critical to look at your bulk of feed available and I find having lower benchmarks of how low you want that pasture to get to so often I work on still having a ton of dry matter standing in the paddock and then I'd work on 70% being your minimum ground cover in that area so often you can put your feeder out but I think this summer we're going to really have to watch that you're not deteriorating that dry matter mass for the following you know recovery once we do get rain and you've got the ground cover in place. So tell us a bit about that that ground cover you like you've talked about 70% for pastures and 50% for stubble but is that the kind of main you know things we should be aiming for with ground cover like percentage of cover yeah and that's probably what I work on as a lower level but I like and I don't want to set it for people I like people to have their own ground cover targets Mm -hmm. so obviously the more dry ground cover you've got in a pasture paddock the quicker the recovery is going to be the less losses to erosion and things like that so you know I've got farmers I work with that don't like going under 90% ground cover Mm -hmm. and then I've got people that will go down to that 70 to 80% stubbles are tricky because you do have a lot of bare ground in there anyway so you know a lot of people would prefer to be around 60% but occasionally in a season like this you will end up at that 50% knowing those paddocks are then re-sown annually it's a different scenario to a perennial pasture where I'd rather keep it a lot higher yeah so you kind of alluded to that a little bit before but what happens then if we're not maintaining those higher levels of ground cover for when you know in autumn when we're going to for our pasture to recover yeah so I think in a season like this where you know where I'm looking now we're only just in December and it could be a long time to the next break you will be getting the wind erosion the water erosion you're losing that valuable organic matter that's basically holding everything together I think long-term deterioration of your paddock's going to be increased considerably if you go below those targets but we also see sort of pasture recovery after rain you know when you've got those dry perennial plants sitting there ready to boom when you look at lambing next year or calving it's just going to allow just a really fast recovery of that feed base so in terms of animal energy requirements what do we need to be aware of when we're feeding stock over summer probably goes back to what I said earlier about the gestational requirements Mm -hmm. so really understanding where your animals are at in a dry season where we are supplementary feeding a large part of the nutrition there's that real importance for scanning and understanding your twins and singles in a sheep enterprise Mm. I look at just the sheer value this year of feeding a ewe and then there's just that massive variation between a single and twin bearing ewe I just struggle with the wastefulness of feeding a single more than it needs because they're in with the twins so I think the cost benefit of scanning is increased in years like this Mm. but just understanding where your ewes are at they're basically changing every 10 days so you can't just set a feeding strategy and stick to it when you've got pregnant animals you've actually got to increase the feed over time along with the protein really so I think we often miss protein in a supplementary feeding strategy when the ewes are in late gestation twin bearing ewe you know they're trying to grow those two fetuses inside so there's that massive protein requirement as well that you're needing to meet if we don't know what's in our feed and we 
we need to do some feed testing. Yeah. What do we need to be looking for in our feed tests? I find feed tests, you know, there's a lot of detail that comes back. So I think there's always been this story, we've got to feed test our feed and I probably get a lot of people ringing me or sending it through saying, now what do we even look at on mm. this thing? So, you know, there's so many different lines on there. So the one thing, the only things you really need to look at is dry matter percent which if you're feeding mostly grain, hay, full feed pellets, it's all going to be up around that 90% dry matter. But if you're looking at byproducts, silage, things like that, you know, silage could be between 30 and 45% dry matter. So it's really critical then to see what the dry matter component is, because that's basically the component that has the energy, protein, all the things you're chasing in it. The next thing is your digestibility, which will be related to your energy value of that feed. So that's a critical one to look at. Probably, you know, digestibility is correlated, but I'd normally just look at the energy value of that feed. Mm -hmm. Then we look at protein, which is reported as a percent, which will be the total percentage of that feed that contains protein. And the next critical one I look at is NDF, which is your neutral detergent fibre. So that'll actually have a huge impact on the animal's intake mm -hmm. of that feed. And I find a lot of people get stuck not looking at NDS. Yep. So, you know, last year we had some very fibrous hay and so the quality could look okay, but because the NDF was so high, the animals actually couldn't consume enough to get enough energy out of it. So mm. we probably did run into a lot of issues that we didn't need to. Mm. This year, NDF's back a bit on a lot of hay. So, you know, intake-wise, you could find ewes getting too fat if you just give them ad-lib hay early in gestation in a containment sort of pen. Mm. Can you explain a bit more about NDF and like how that drives gut fill? NDF is basically the digestible components like lignin and cellulose that are in the feed. So as you have your feed growing and it gets more structure, your NDF value basically goes up on that feed. So once you get to really high NDF feeds, basically the rumen's trying to break down that real fibrous component but you still need that energy and protein to sort of feed the rumen bugs to keep breaking it down. So, you know, I sort of like to think of it as a human eating a heap of wheat bix mm -hmm. without any milk, basically. And what you find with high NDF feeds, digestibility is often really low. So it just travels very slowly mm. through the rumen. So the animal basically can't consume more because they're full of this real low quality feed. Yeah. And often with a protein deficiency, then the microbes aren't acting quickly enough to break it down as mm. well. We've talked about all of those issues or things to keep in mind, but what are some of the tools that we've got in our toolbox when we're developing a supplementary feeding strategy? So we've covered off on feed tests. The other one that's absolutely critical is condition scoring your stock. You know, we can get energy charts. Lifetime will have produced some really good energy charts that tell you what animals need at the specific point in time. But what you've actually got to do is assess how well your supplementary feeding strategy is working mm. by condition scoring stock. So encourage people to do a lifetime year course if they haven't already or get someone out to show you because I find most people when they start supplementary feeding end up overfeeding stock. Mm -hmm. um, they end up often too fat and you end up with more sort of lambing issues than what you have with skinny stock. Yeah. So absolutely critical just to monitor it as you go. Yeah, really good tip, Deb. So we're talking about, you know, feeding something. Maybe we need to buy some feed in or maybe we're looking at an option to buy feed in. So how do we actually go about comparing the cost of different feed types and then budgeting for that feed and knowing how much we need to have? 
there's a really good New South Wales DPI feed cost calculator, which I actually find invaluable if you're looking at purchasing feeds. I often use barley and lupins, but you could put in barley and lupins, you could put in a full feed pellet, you could put in some high quality hay or silage you can purchase in the area. And then depending on what nutrient you're chasing, so often with ewes we are chasing energy, you can actually compare all those feed types as a sense puts per megajoule of energy. So you can do a direct comparison there. Then the next part is sort of doing those rations, mm-hmm. which is the hardest part. So there are a few ration calculators available online, but they're actually probably quite simple. Mm-hmm. And as I said, with your gestational changes of a ewe, you do need to sort of update those rations often every couple of weeks. So yeah, I'd probably be looking at, you know, if you're not equipped to sort of do your own rations or use one of those simple calculators, um, you know, there's probably plenty of consultants and other resources around to help you do that sort Mm -hmm. of ration series. And then it's turning that into a feed budget. So once you've got your rations over the period you're expecting to feed, timesing it out by your one, two thousand, five thousand head, Mm -hmm. it starts to get pretty scary as far as numbers go. (laughs) Yeah. I think the key is to buy a feed early Mm because I think we see it every year you know I'll do a feed ration for clients and then they'll they'll go purchase that feed early and you know especially with things like lupins I find we'll grab them early in the season they're quite a reasonable price Mm -hmm. and three months later if you need need another truckload it seems to have always gone up Mm -hmm. so I think locking your feed in early is a pretty good strategy in a season like this. Mm. If we're thinking about maybe feeding our own feed on farm perhaps you know we've got our own beans we've got our own barley or we might have our own I don't know lupins or chickpeas or something else yeah how do we go about costing some of those things to put into a ration if we're supplementary feeding I'd always put them in at market value and I do sort of argue with some clients about this because they're like (laughs) you know it doesn't cost me that much to make but I said you can sell it on farm for that cost tomorrow so that is actually the value whether you want to call it that value or not and, you know, I probably struggle with beans are 550 a tonne and lupins are $400 a tonne. Per unit of protein, lupins are actually a whole lot cheaper. Mm-hmm. So I think we sometimes get trapped in defeating what we have. But when you look at a financial turnover or budget over a whole year, sometimes you are better to sell your beans mm. and buy something different mm. for a protein source. Yeah, really good point. So then if we're talking about who who we need to feed and how long we need to fo- to feed them for how do we go about deciding that who do we keep who do we sell who do we feed who do we not and this is a real individual decision and as part of a drought hub project we've actually developed a series of sort of decision matrices which I've found invaluable in helping producers make decisions because you're basically putting numerical values against each class of stock and seeing how valuable they are for the future Mm. and then deciding who's going to go. I think in general most producers have a bit of an idea. I've had a lot of people culling off age groups a bit earlier this year because they they know they're going to be holding stock for a long period of time. Mm really hard with the prices because mm. often it's a break-even exercise which is a bit disappointing but I think still looking at the le- lack of mouths you're going to carry through needs to be reassuring for people when we look at the season coming ahead. Mm. I've probably had people just culling out inferior sort of animals that they've just done a harder culling decision within each age group and so when you do the fit to join type assessment of a ewe you know sometimes you'll give them a bit of an extra 
chance with a you know say a bit of an utter issue that isn't critical mm. i think this year if you're trying to cull numbers you just give them no chances mm. and those animals are gone mm. so yeah it's looking at who's going to be the most valuable for you to hold for the next sort of four or five years i guess so it is going to be those younger breeding stock they're mm. going to be worthwhile and then I think sometimes with other classes of stock, like weather lambs, you know, even if you finish them every other year, it might be that you just save your energy to keep your ewes going and, you know, potentially sell some of those animals a bit lighter if you need to reduce mouths and feeding pressure on your property. Mm. So is there anything else we should be considering when we're setting our stock strategies for summer? Anything else we've missed or haven't spoken about yet? No, I think just really emphasising that early decision making as far as... and you know probably the cash flow side mm. you know i'll filter cash flow sort of out of a feed budget we look at the cost of the feeding strategy but it does need to go into an enterprise decision mm. as far as available cash flow to keep feeding these stocks mm. so you know i'm looking at now you know even if we do get a bit of rain over the next couple of months it's actually not going to change what's available unless you've got real deep rooted perennial pastures that are going to green up mm -hmm. So, you know, I think I really am working on a four or five month feeding strategy for a lot of clients. Mm -hmm. And if, the, yeah, you do need to work that back into a cash flow because if there's not the money there, you know, destocking or reducing stock numbers might be the only option mm -hmm. really. So what other key messages have you got, Dev? Or is, you know, anything, uh, any other key messages that we haven't touched on so far? Yeah, and we haven't really talked about the health side, I guess, mm. of feeding. Often, especially in areas like this where I find people aren't always used to supplementary feeding mm -hmm. for such a long period of time, I feel like coming from the mid-north, you know, I just work with people that supplementary feed every year. Mm. So there's issues like hypocalcemia that mm. really show up when people start, especially grain feeding. So sometimes we've talked about those cost benefits of different feeds. Sometimes a full feed pellet with lime and all your minerals sort of built in, even though on paper they're slightly more, can give you a better result as far as health outcomes. Mm in grain feeding making sure you've got that mineral balance right is absolutely crucial just to help those ewes get through pregnancy also things like pulpy kidney if they're coming off dry feed your actual yearly vaccinations only cover pulpy for three months so making sure you give those ewes or weather lambs a boost before you suddenly start changing the nutrition is critical as well and what about worms and drenching that sort of thing oh, i probably just encourage people to do a worm egg count before mm. they come in so you know if your ewes are carrying a high worm burden it probably is a good time to give them a drench prior to going into containment and i just look at the sheer value of the feed you're putting down their throats you know if they're carrying a worm burden you're just not going to hit your condition score targets and that feed's basically going to be nutritionally a bit wasted so just doing those egg counts and making that decision with a sort of consultant or advisor before you bring them in is mm. important as well so deb what next for you what what exciting things have you got coming up in the next 12 months what are you working on what are you excited well, about i've sort of i think with dry times like i feel like 1920 i spent my whole life containment feeding and working <laughs> on that and i've sort of come full circle that yeah so heading to tassie next week to run a few um, containment feeding workshops has got pretty dry down there and then have been involved in a large project like a train the trainer project so as of early next year i think i'm going to have quite a lot of phone calls sort of helping these other consultants that i've helped upskill in containment feeding space so that's going to be relatively hectic but yeah just busy on farm a few projects in the wings and yeah 
all going to continue in next year I think very exciting yeah um full circle coming back to training more consultants that's just fantastic and so great to see you know your progress over only four years being by yourself a lot more years than that but you know with experience but that's so great that you can hand some of your knowledge on and and help other people yeah and the problem is in dry times there's just not enough people so you know when where we say where can we go to learn more I think having that advice to help you out with supplementary feeding is crucial Mm. and yeah the hardest part for the industry is having enough people with experience to answer those questions really yeah for sure we will put all of the resources that we've talked about today into our show notes so if you are listening and you're not quite sure where to go you can click through to there and jump on any of those links and follow through but Deb thank you so much for helping us out it was great to speak with you today Thanks for listening to The Prosperous Farmer, a McKillop Farm Management Group production. You can rate, review and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter and YouTube at McKillop Group or check out our website at www.mckillopgroup.com.au. Thanks for listening and see you next time.